Thank you for listening to the CEO-ish podcast with me, Taylor Graham. And me, Chloe Willemson. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the CEO-ish podcast. As always, we are Chloe and Taylor, and it has unintentionally been a little bit, you guys. I was battling some severe jet lag after my arrival to Italy, which I will tell you guys more about in a little bit later, and Chloe ended up getting sick, so it just threw off our entire one year of CEO-ish podcast plan, and we decided to scrap the entire idea. We decided that we didn't need to dedicate an entire episode to recapping our thoughts over the past year and that we can just do that over on Instagram. So over the next week or so, Chloe and I are each going to be highlighting each of our favorite episodes, some of our favorite interviews, why they were our favorite interviews, and just really recapping like our past experience and year of the show and everything we've learned from a year of podcasting. I seriously cannot believe it's been a year. Oh my God, Chloe. I know. I know. (laughs) It's weird. But yes, keep an eye out for that. And this week, we are sitting down with Margie Feltoon, who is the co-owner and CEO of Interview Connections, the first and leading podcast booking agency. Margie and her business partner, Jessica, lead an in-house staff of over 25 full-time employees in their now virtual Rhode Island office and have successfully scaled the agency to multiple seven figures. So incredible. Margie is also a fellow podcaster. She has a podcast called We Get It, Your Dad Died, where she speaks with high-performing entrepreneurs about their experiences with grief and death, which won her a first prize in the best podcast category at the Rhode Island International Film Festival in 2021, which is so damn cool. Margie is so chill. We had an amazing conversation with her about all things podcasting. I absolutely love interviewing other podcasters. I know I've said this before, but the banter is just so good. Oh yeah. It feels so different when they have their own podcast, but going beyond podcasting, we also have a very powerful conversation about her traumatic loss and how it transformed her life and contributed to her success as an entrepreneur. We know you guys are going to love this episode, but we have a ton to catch you up on before we hear from Margie. So Taylor, what's been going on with you over in Italy? Oh my gosh. I have so much to catch you guys up on because I didn't even we I haven't chatted with you guys since before It's been a minute. I left. Yeah, and I had some drama leaving, let me tell you. Okay. So I'm just gonna start <laughs> there. Um my COVID test. So this might be a I'm just an idiot and I did not know this, but it could also be a it was very strict because this is Italy and they were one of the countries that got hit the hardest by COVID, I would definitely say. Um, I don't think anybody would argue that either. And I so in all I I flew Delta for those who were curious and I kept receiving a bunch of emails stating that I just needed to have a COVID test like the antigen test one day prior to my arrival or to my flight. So I did that. I had an appointment booked two, three weeks in advance. I'm an extremely organized traveler. I don't like to be in the last minute rushing scenarios, trying to get documents, etc. So like you guys already can tell where this is going and it was literally my worst nightmare. So I get my COVID test done, no problem, blah, blah, blah. And I go to upload all of my documents to Delta's pre-board and pre-check so you can skip all the lines. And trust me, you definitely want to do that. The lines are not worth standing in. But they denied my COVID test and they rejected it. And they told me that I took it too early because I took it at 
1230 and my flight wasn't till four. So I was three and a half hours too early to take my COVID test. And then I had the unfortunate panic because we live in the United States and this apparently still is a problem, but finding a COVID test readily available was not easy, especially like within the next 24 hours. And this came with a story. So Chloe, I've been waiting to tell you this and waiting for your like reaction to all of this. So, oh no, (laughs) coming back to even more drama with my COVID test, CVS, I have a bone to pick with them. Okay. They texted me the wrong fucking address to where my COVID test was. And I pulled into an abandoned parking lot. And apparently this has been happening for this location that I had got it done at because the address or not at the address, but the zip code is wrong on the website. And it's like CVS's master website. It's not like this specific location's website. Mm -hmm. So they're having to battle the corporate people to get it updated. So that's why it sent me the wrong address. But because it's been happening, they've been calling all of their like customers, patients, people that they've been helping with their COVID tests. So the guy calls me and he's like, hey, are you showing up? And I was like, funny you call me and I'm so appreciative because I just pulled in and there's nothing here. There's not a tent. There's not a CVS. There's nothing here. So it's important for me to point out at this point. Uh, this man calls me on his personal cell phone. I, I got his name like with the caller ID and everything. It wasn't like a CVS. And mm-hmm. I just had a gut feeling. And normally I don't answer phone numbers that I don't recognize. But I just had a gut feeling in that moment. So I'm so glad that I listened to it and answered. Well, fast forwarding to me not being able to find an available COVID test. I literally call this guy's personal phone number, have a mental breakdown about not being able to find a COVID test and explain my situation to him. And he just starts laughing at me and tells me that he will <laughs> sign me up for a 10 a.m. appointment and he like inputs all my information. And so I get like a formal appointment reminder from CVS. So it wasn't like a sketchy situation or anything. But yeah, that dude came in so clutch for me. You guys have no idea. I ended up getting a COVID test the morning. I left for Italy at like 10 a.m. It was oh my god, as about close to cutting anything as I would ever like to come. It was a terrible experience for me as a type A person who likes to have all of my ducks in a row. Yeah. There was a moment in time I literally did not think it was going to be in the cards for me to be on this trip, but I did it. I made it to Italy. Uh, I wish I could say my L's stopped there, truthfully, <laughs> but we're riding with the wave here because like, okay, coming back to... Italy got hit really, really hard by COVID. Because of that, nobody's really using cash. Everybody's using either their card or they all have train passes in this situation. Um, Europe cards, and maybe this is just my card because I'm at a tiny little credit union and after this trip, I will definitely be getting all of this fixed. But I don't have the tap to pay feature on my card. Like it's just a regular old chip. And everybody here has the tap to pay So that was an L I've been taking. So I brought cash. No one's accepting cash. I don't have tap to pay. It's just, it's been a mess. So Liana, the gracious, fantastic friend that she is, gives me one of her cards to use. And it's like a cash app card. So it doesn't have like foreign international fees, which is what we were both getting hit with so bad. Mm -hmm. And what did I do? I glossed the fucking card. 
She told me to keep it in my pocket in a very accessible place because we were tapping and using it so frequently with the train system. And we were sitting down at lunch and all of a sudden I reached into my pocket and the card just was not there. And I cannot tell you guys, I have never felt like a shittier friend more in my life than that exact moment right then and there. Like, oh my God. I, truthfully, I'm going to be completely honest. The only reason I am still living is because I'm me and it's Liana. If this would have been literally anybody else, Liana probably would have killed them. <laughs> I do not take that for granted, Liana. If and when you listen to this, I love you so dearly. I'm so sorry. I'm trash. Like I can't, an <laughs> edible arrangement will be sent your way. You, I have no idea. Oh my gosh. Like I just... The L's I've been taking on this trip have been the equivalent to Chloe in Mexico. If you know, you know. I will link that episode in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what it is about traveling, but it's just like I've never taken this many L's on a trip before. I actually normally – actually, I haven't. I have before. Every time I go to Florida, it's a headache. I hate the state of Florida. You can't be mad at me for saying that. If you are a listener in Florida, I'm so sorry. It's just a terrible state. I, I can't do it. Uh, but yeah, every time I go to Florida, something happens to me there or something happens with my flight, like a layover or mi- almost missing something. It's just, it's never a good experience for me. I usually have good experiences on vacation, but I do get sick pretty easily on vacation. You get dehydrated, bitch. I get dehydrated. You get so issue. dehydrated. <laughs> the immune system's like, yeah, I'm out of here. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I have been here officially. So I got here on the 20th. It is now Monday, February 28th. So I've been here eight days. I have done a lot of stuff since we last chatted, you guys, like a lot of stuff. Um, I have been living through your Instagram stories. Uh, if you don't follow me on Instagram at TayGramBiz, please go look. Like if the one thing I can say about Italy, A, everybody knew this, but the food here is insane. I've had some of the best pasta and pizza and gelato and coffee of my entire life. And I know this is like the biggest, pri- most privileged thing I can say or one of, but like not even my Nespresso machine at home is going to do it in the coffee department for me after <laughs> this trip. Like that's it's such a bougie thing to say, but my gosh, I just, it's so different over here. Mm. I am just dying not being there right now. <laughs> you should be here. I'm sorry. Your cousin – Your I should be here. Next time? Your cousin should have just postponed her coming. wedding. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. Like, doesn't she know it's all about me? <laughs> I'm kidding. If your cousin's listening to this, I'm yes. so kidding. Congratulations. No, and I was worth so, it. so happy for you. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. I'll tell you guys that about that later. Yes. Let me finish my my travel recap. Okay. So we've been staying in Milan. It's been so beautiful. It's been very interesting because I've traveled to a, two, a few different regions of Italy at this point, which I'll get into in a little bit. Um, but Milan is so modern and business centric for Italy compared to like Rome or Florence, which is where I've been. So I'll start with my little solo day trip that I did to Rome all by myself. I was very excited. That was the first solo trip that I've ever taken myself. Normally, like I've traveled alone in the sense of like, I've gotten myself to places. I've gotten places a few days early. I've taken flights by myself, etc. But I have never like traveled, navigated, done the entire day on my own, etc. So I was really proud of myself for this one. Like it was like a really big confidence boost. But my God, it was an action-packed day, you guys. And 
I just have to state that the city of Rome has stolen my heart. Like, I absolutely love it. I want to live there. I want to go back. I want more time there. I actually wish I would be staying in Rome instead of Milan, like knowing what I know about the trip now. Um, But it's just a reason to come back. So I left Milan at the ass crack of dawn. It was still dark. It was so, so early to get to Rome. And it was like a three, three and a half hour train ride to get there. Um, totally worth it. And then the second I got there, I hit the ground running. I got myself some coffee, a cappuccino as always. And then I went to Trevi Fountain, which I cannot express to you. No amount of video will ever be able to fully capture the detail or how like just massive the size of this fountain was. And I just enjoyed sitting there for like 20, 30 minutes, just taking in the view of it, enjoying the water, making wishes. I had like a bunch of family members and some friends give me coins to make them all wishes in the fountain. So I was doing that for a little bit. It was so cute. Ah, uh, that's um, fun. And then after I meandered around and I strolled on over to the tour station where I bought Skip the Line tickets, I personally like to do tours on my own. I'm not a guided tour person. I'll, however, I I ate my words on that one at the Vatican and I'll get into that later, but for the Colosseum. So I bought a guided tour. I like to do the skip the line stuff just because I can't stand waiting in, in those kinds of lines. And I'm so glad I did too. If you were planning a trip to Italy, I would highly, highly recommend buying your tickets to like the Colosseum or any of the major attractions like the Roman Forum, Palatine Hill, et cetera, all of that. Buy the skip the line tickets. It's worth it. But I started at the Colosseum, and my God, the, the Romans were some brutal people, but man, they were master engineers. Like, I just can't even express how large and how massive and just structurally sound the Colosseum is as a building. I understand why it has withstood the test of time. I understand why it is a world wonder. It is just jaw-dropping to look at truthfully and I cannot shout out Rick Steves audio guide if anybody knows or travels frequently you probably know Rick Steves but he has like an app his tour guides on in the audio books that he's been doing on his app have saved me my entire trip a ton of money not doing guided tours and his Colosseum one was so good and I learned so much about Roman history and culture and got refreshed on a lot of things that I had forgotten about in school that I like when he said it I was like oh yeah I remember learning about this but it's just kind of things you forget about over the years until you're reminded or re- discover the passion for it, you know, and willingly pick it back up. Mm -hmm. And then I meandered on over to the Roman Forum and Palatine Hill and just wandered through all of the churches, the ruins, etc. Like, I just so massive. Please go check out my Italy highlight to go see the photos. Like, I can't even – It's this is the one part where you need video podcasting. I'm still holding out on doing that, you guys. I don't want to do it, but, you know, it might come to it at some (laughs) point. We'll see. Um, but that's going to like totally change the way we record. We are both in comfy clothes <laughs> with our hair a mess right now. Like we're going to have to get ready to podcast. Yeah. It'll be a big I thing. <laughs> I, I'm avoiding it for as long as possible. Um, mm-hmm. But after that, I did take a little break because I needed to eat so bad. And I got tramancini, which are like these little sandwiches that are like grilled there. But there's a couple different things. And I did not know this, but artichokes are super big in Rome. So my tramancini sandwich had like arti- artichoke. I almost like 
choked when I said that, but it had artichoke, <laughs> cucumber, um, like spinach, feta. It was really, really good. I was very happy that I got that. And it was a nice little pick me up before I went to the Vatican and the Vatican. Wow. Oh, wow. It's all I can say about that. Like I no amount of preparation can prepare you for how much time you truly need to be able to spend at the Vatican. I could have spent an entire day there and probably still felt like it was not enough time. Chloe, I can say this to you because you realize like the hometown aspect of this, but the Detroit Institute of Art, you know, the feeling of like how big that place is. Mm -hmm. This is a very similar feeling where there are just so many rooms to look at, but because all of the rooms are done by like, I don't know, Michelangelo, there is just so much (laughs) to look at, you know? And there's so many paintings on the ceilings and there's just so much detail and everything has a texture. Like I just, I don't even, it was so overwhelming. And at one point I had to stop filming at the Vatican and like taking photos and stuff because I was just like, there's just too much to look at and too much to take pictures of. And I just had to take it in. But wow, I to see Michelangelo's work like in person, like everything I've read about since I was a kid, because I did go to Catholic school. So it's stuff that I've read about in history books, in religion books, in textbooks, in the Bible, all of that my entire life, you know? So just absolutely incredible. The photos from the textbooks will never be able to do it justice. It's something you just have to see in person. Ugh. I wish I could have taken photos in the Sistine Chapel. I I know why you can't. It's art preservation, you know, but I just like, wow, his pieces in there, those paintings. And I laugh too because I didn't know. So Michelangelo, I knew he was considered a great because he was both an architect, a sculptor, and a painter. But I didn't know that he was kind of like snobby about painting. Like he didn't think it was like as – Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. Fancy. Mm-hmm. He's cool. <laughs> yeah, it was so cool. I I loved love 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 Rome, and I would I truly wish like I could have spent more time in the Vatican. I wish I had like two. You really need three to four days in Rome. I did my best to see it all in a day. I didn't get to the Spanish Steps. There's still more. I wish I could have done. I will definitely be back. Oh my god, I loved it. All right, I'm and going with after- you. Yes, for sure. <laughs> For sure. And then after the Vatican, I had like the best pasta I've ever had in my entire life. It was fantastic. It, I bought myself two two dinners because I deserved it at that point. Like when in Rome, let me tell you, you buy two <laughs> pasta dinners. So yeah, it was just fantastic. And I did so much walking at this point that I was just so excited to be sitting. Like, Chloe, you know we are horizontal ass bitches. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be sitting so bad. Sitting is an underrated activity. I think more people should sit, honestly. There, there's an exercise <laughs> movement going around, and I'm just, I'm an advocate for sitting. <laughs> more people should sit. <laughs> more people should I have never hated myself more in a moment than I do at this exact time. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Um, Saturday, I didn't do much. I I don't think I even said what day I did this, but my solo day trip to Rome was Friday. Then Saturday, I just laid in bed and contemplated the lingering effects of my body and how sore I was from how much walking I did on cobblestone all day. So grateful. Such a great experience. Would do it all over again. (laughs) (laughs) loved it and then yesterday which was Sunday Liana and I made the very 
very last minute decision to adventure over to Florence because we were basically going back and forth whether or not we wanted to go visit another country. We debated Paris. We debated Barcelona. Um, but just financially, we, we decided we didn't want to shell out the extra money to make that kind of thing happen, mm-hmm. even though. Like, because honestly, doing that kind of thing would involve extending the trip. And I just, I, I need to go home when I have to go home. So, yeah, that just is what it is. I'll be back. We but, miss you in this time zone. <laughs> I'm conflicted because I love having an entire day before everybody else is awake, but I hate working from the 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. window. Oh my God, I just want to be done at that point. So what hours are you working? Um, My hour is on Italy time. So if I'm keeping up with Eastern Standard Time, your 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. is my 3 p.m. to 10 p.m. Okay. I think I would prefer that. It's nice to have a whole day, especially as morning people. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. that would be good. That'll be good when we go back and we can work from there. <laughs> For sure, because we're, we're going to Italy. We're moving mm-hmm. to Italy. I'm, I'm convinced. Mm-hmm. Um, it's happening. But on to Florence. So I promise you guys I'm almost done with my Italy recap and then Chloe can talk. So Chloe – or not Chloe. Liana and I made the last <laughs> minute decision to go to Florence, which was only about like an hour and 50 minutes away. It was a much faster train ride than my tra- um, train to Rome. And then we got off the train and this was a lot more casual and relaxed, mostly because I tried to make it super go, go, go. I wanted to go to the um, Academia Gallery and the, I'm totally going to mispronounce this, but it's the museum that starts with an E. It might be Uffizi or Uffizi um, Museum, which has a bunch of Michelangelo um Leonardo da Vinci's pieces, etc. But they those tickets were so beyond sold out, and those museum lines were. I just like I'll I'll catch mm-hmm. it on the next time I come back to Italy. I was not wait. I was not going to spend the entire day waiting in line for two things when I could had so much more to see and do. Yeah. You know. Well, I would make you go back to that anyway. So. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I'd be happy to re-experience it all. There, Florence was so picturesque and that is honestly the best way I can describe it it was so cute it was so romantic and charming like just want we honestly spent the majority of the day just wandering the streets we spent more money on food than we did attractions truthfully like that's cool though (laughs) so I'll start at the beginning of my day we did the Duomo de Firenze which is the church in the cathedral of Florence um, which is like a beautiful plaza, et cetera. And we just wandered around. Then we wandered through some side streets, got some coffee, um, wandered through the shops. Cannot express to you how cold Florence was, though. Wished I would have swallowed my pride and wore the winter jacket because it didn't match my outfit and I was being vain 100%. <laughs> it was so cold. But yeah, we saw the bridge. And I think it's called the Ponte shadow or I'm definitely saying that wrong and I feel so bad when I mispronounce like landmarks and stuff we did the um plaza de Michelangelo it was just so good I have a like Florence recap coming up on my Instagram that like perfectly recaps all of the days and everything we did oh we also did the garden of Gucci that was one museum that we did that's cool and we were able to get into that so that was just 
freaking fantastic. I loved Florence. We had the best time. It's also the birthplace of gelato, so we had some incredible gelato. I just – Oh, my gosh. I loved it. And it was so fun to feel how different – like because Rome, Florence, and Milan all have very, very different feelings. Like if you want the culture and the history and that feeling of something always to do – Rome. If you want like that quiet, slow living, picturesque, romantic, charmed feel to your life, Florence. And but there's still like a ton to do in Florence too. I'm definitely missing a a ton more things that we did in Florence, like in terms of the churches and stuff. But I am going to mispronounce all of the names, and I just feel bad. We tried to go to Santa Croquet, which is where um, Da Vinci. Galileo and Michelangelo are buried, but we didn't account for the fact that we went to Florence on a Sunday and all of these cathedrals were actually going to be in mass and in service the entire day. So we didn't get to go in, but it was really cool to see the services in action Mm -hmm. because I mean, they're huge landmarks and attractions. So a ton of people visit there actually attend the services. So they have chairs and projectors all along the outside in the plaza. So there's plenty of seating for everybody. Oh it's my gosh, so that's cool. so cool. It is wow. beautiful. And the architecture here, like we just don't put the love and time mm-hmm. and attention into our buildings here. And I'm sorry if everybody just heard the like panic in my voice happen for like three seconds. <laughs> I literally almost dropped my laptop. I have a very interesting podcast set up here. Chloe insisted I bring the microphone stand because I wave around and move too much and mm-hmm. it's annoying to edit. So <laughs> You, you win, Chloe. But yeah, that's about what's been going on with me in Italy. I am still here until Saturday. Right now it's Monday. I really don't want to leave. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I have no desire to leave, but it is what it is, you know? <laughs> wow. Well, I am just dripping in FOMO in West Michigan. <laughs> Is it still snowing there? Because it's been like, I mean, it's not warm here, but it's like, I want to say 40s, 50s, sometimes closer to 60s on a really warm day and super sunny here, but there's no snow. So it's not like super cold. I think it's supposed to snow maybe today. Either today or Wednesday, it's supposed to snow, but there have been a few days where it's been like mid 40s, low 50s. So that actually was one of my updates is it was a very hot and sunny day in Michigan at 40 degrees. So I went for a hike and literally everybody in Grand Rapids had the same idea. Like every, well, we only, I only went on two paths, but like both the paths, everybody was on them. So that's just kind of how it usually goes in the springtime. Once there's like the first day that everyone can go hiking, everyone's like, yes, gotta go. But it was really fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad. What else has been going on with you? It is officially your turn to catch us up on what everything yes. that you've been doing. So my catch up, sorry guys, it's way less exciting than Taylor's. But one of the first things that I did that I'm really excited about actually is I finally like went through my closet and I seriously got rid of like 75% of the stuff. I have three trash bags like full of clothes to donate. Um, and I've just been needing to do that forever. And it's been really hard because like I don't like most of my clothes, but I'm like, don't want to get rid of it because I might need it, you know? So I finally did it and it feels It feels great. so good. It, it's like I when you like it. get a short haircut or something. It's just like, it's a new me. I love it. 
Now, the real and better question is, are the bags in the back of your car ready to be driven around for the next three months until you actually go to a donation center to do it? They're actually in my bedroom. (laughs) They haven't even made it to the car yet. Proud of you. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Um, And my next update. Oh, so TikTok finally listened to everybody. And they have favorite or they have folders in your favorites now. So you can organize your favorites. And that is just game changing. Oh, my God. You can do that now? Yeah. Yeah. If you go to your favorites, you can organize in the folders. I'm a little out of the loop for obvious reasons in the social media world. I'm sorry, you guys. I will be back soon. Um, But speaking of TikTok updates as well, one update that did not go past me that is absolutely devastating to me, Pot Roast, the legendary cat of TikTok, has passed. I was devastated. I have never had such an interesting parasocial dynamic relationship with an influencer, let alone a pet on the internet. Like that one hit me hard. It felt like I lost my own pet. And I send all of the love and support to Pot Roast Mom because I can't even imagine. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace, Pot Roast. R.I.P. Roast. R.I.P. Roast. All right. My next update is, so I've never fought with somebody on the internet, right? But I did <laughs> last week. Chloe well, we <laughs> went off. On a museum? Or was it an aquarium? No. First, okay, let me tell you. So I'm in a Facebook group for muralists, right? And somebody in our group shared this, like, job posting that this aquarium posted, and it was, like, 2,500 square feet. They were going to pay $10,000 for it, not including cost of materials. So right off the bat, let's say materials and lifts and all of that is free, which it's not. But let's just say it is. Still at $10,000, that's less than $4 per square foot. So bullshit. And they had a work for clause hire or work for hire clause, which means that they would own your design, which not how it works. They need to pay a licensing fee if they want it. And another red flag was they were requiring a design to apply and you had to pay to apply. So it was just like such a bullshit thing. And so somebody shared that in our Facebook group. So obviously everyone in the group is like, like, oh, my God, what the fuck? This is bullshit, you know? And then, so I posted that I emailed them and I sent them a really nice, a professional email. And I was just like, hey, like, I think this is a mistake. I just, you know, want to let you know that, you know, here's like the average price of what you're looking for. And, um, you know, like this is really hurtful to artists everywhere. It's like cheapening our work and like contributing to starving artist stereotype, whatever. And I was like, I encourage you to rethink your budget or look for smaller square footage if you don't have a bigger budget. And it was super professional. And I posted a screenshot and I was like, we should just send them emails like this. Right. Because that's the professional. It's professional. Right. Anyway. So the girl who shared the link in the Facebook group then commented and she was like, oh, I didn't realize that like this was such a problem. Maybe everyone who's upset is just slow painters and I was going to post my opportunities, but we can only afford like $7 per square foot because we are a grassroots nonprofit or whatever. And so I commented, I was like, yeah, I wouldn't post that here because nobody in this group is going to, I didn't say because no one in this group is going to do that, but I said, I wouldn't post that here because that's not enough. And she was like all upset and basically saying, well, I'm a nonprofit, so I should get an extreme discount because I can't afford it. And I was just like, that's not how it works. Like if you can't afford it, you can't afford it. A mural is a luxury. You don't just get free work because you can't afford it. What other job are you going to ask someone to come retile your bathroom and then be like, well, I can't afford it, so I'm just going to pay you 10000 less than it's worth. I don't know how much it costs to tile bathrooms. But like it's just so annoying how people – 
do that to artists like or they'll be like oh you like your job so like I should get it for extremely cheap no that's not how it works yeah um but yeah so I was arguing with her on the internet and then like halfway through it she was just not getting it and everybody in the comments was like agreeing with me because she was clearly in the wrong but Um Unfortunately, I feel like this happens a lot in the nonprofit sector. Not all nonprofits do this, but a lot of them do. And I understand their budget constraints, but, but, but it's the, the exploitation. <laughs> the exploitation. Yeah, we're not down with yeah. that. And then, like to be like, oh, you should be honored, or it's exposure. No, mm-hmm. I hate the I hate the no. exposure comment. Oh, it's as bad as it working in influencer marketing. No. Yeah, it's just like. It was frustrating. And yeah, she wasn't getting it. So like halfway through, I was like, okay, I am three hours into arguing with a random stranger on the internet. I'm embarrassed. I got to stop now. So uh, I just honestly, let it go. But <laughs> I'm proud of you for arguing. I've never seen you that passionate about something. Yeah. Well, because I am really passionate about that. Anytime that I see a competition like that, I always either like DM them or email them or comment on their stuff. Like this isn't how it works. And what's going to happen? Because it's- Yeah, you did that for the 12 Oaks one too. Yeah, that was annoying. Um. No, so like I said, it was a $10,000 budget for 2,500 square feet. A couple thousand of that is going to be eaten up in lifts alone. And then you got to think about paint costs and you need insurance for the entire time you're doing that. And they're requiring that you have to get a, what is it, a business license in Virginia. So it's just like all these expenses. I I hope whoever gets stuck doing this at least breaks even because like I feel like they might even need to dip into their own pocket in order to do this mural. So I feel sad. bad for whoever gets stuck with that. That makes me sad. It sucks, but hopefully they'll change their mind. Like I said, like so many people were emailing them and like commenting on their Instagram, their Facebook, like all of it. Hopefully everyone will see the red flag. I don't know. But moving on, I went to the most beautiful wedding this weekend for my cousin Abby. It was at the Masonic Temple in Detroit. Oh my God. I, I It's nothing to compare to the Sistine Chapel, but the Masonic Temple is beautiful. Have you been there before, Taylor? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize, like, they have, like, the concert venue. Then they mm-hmm. have a ballroom, which is where the wedding, well, the reception was. Yeah, I saw the 1975 gorgeous. with Liana there. Oh, you did? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that as a music venue since it's, like, smaller. I saw yeah. Chance the Rapper there. It's a good venue. It's a good venue and, like, just beautiful. And I love myself a good conspiracy theory. So I was just (laughs) having so much fun, like, just, like, looking at all the symbols and stuff. I was like, ooh, not going to say anything. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, no, I was talking to one of the staff members there before we left. And I was like, oh, I bet it's really creepy in here at night. And she was like, yeah, it is. And I was like, oh, are there ghosts? And she said, yeah. So I was like, ooh, let me get out of here. Um, but yeah, it was so fun. And Abby is, was just the most gorgeous bride. And it was so nice to be with my family. And then we all stayed at the Motor City Casino, which is like right down the street. Oh, how fun. So yeah, we went to the casino after and I immediately blew $30 and decided I'm done. <laughs> and then I went to bed. It was the odds were not in my favor. I did the slot machines because that's all I know how to do. And I didn't I think I made like 50 cents one time and that was it. After Rude. I spent $30. Yeah. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to quit now. I'm, I'm going to um, quit, quit while I'm not ahead. Yeah. I was, I was about to say, well, I'm ahead, but I was like, no, Chloe, you're not ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you are in fact in the hole. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then this week coming up is going to be slowered graphics. So I'm finally going to jump back into doing my yoga training because I haven't touched that in quite a bit. So it's about time. I miss it. And yeah. 
that's all of my updates for you for now. Well, we're almost at about 40 minutes worth of updates, most of that being me. So this is definitely going to be a longer podcast episode. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Do you want to go ahead with your product of the week? Yes. So I'm excited to shout out a Target find for everyone because I know we all love a great Target find. And it is they're called the Women's Ellie Chelsea Boots, and it's from the A New Day brand. You guys, they were like 30 bucks, and I impulse bought them like – two days before I was supposed to come to this trip because I had no cute black like leather looking boots and all of my heels were too tall to be walking on cobblestone. It was just not happening. These $30 are so comfortable. Are they the highest quality shoe on the planet? No. Is it real leather? No. But like they work in a pinch. And honestly, like I'm so happy I have these. They're, they've been so great to walk around in and the break-in time on them really wasn't that bad. It's vegan leather. Is it? Did you look at it? I'm guessing. I'm, isn't isn't plastic leather just vegan leather? leather? Pro- wow, why can I not say leather? <laughs> I don't even know. Can you even call it leather at that point? It just looks like leather. I yeah. I don't know. But that's cool. Is that to replace your, um, what is it, H&M ones? The Charlotte Russe boots I Charlotte was telling Roos. you about. Yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. Beautiful. It's a it's an upgrade. Charlotte Roos to Target. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't <laughs> want to spend an exorbitant amount. I probably could have done Steve Madden. I was just running out of time at that point. Yeah, Steve Madden makes great shoes. Yes, yes, he but, does. But at that point, I mean, if you're walking around a lot, you probably want to do like a shoe you're okay with getting beat up anyway. Yeah, no, like they are covered in dust from the Coliseum. So, oh my gosh, the Coliseum. I was just dying living through your stories. They were so beautiful. (laughs) More to come. More to come. All right. My product this week is Glow Recipe Watermelon Glow Niacinamide Dewdrops. Niacinamide? Niacinamide. Don't ask me to pronounce anything because I can't do that. You pronouncing skincare and the like juicy beauty. That was so (laughs) funny. Guys, one of these days I'm going to say my product of the week and have no like no mess ups, but it's fine. Um, I've been really getting into Glow Recipes watermelon line recently. I love the smell. I love how like dewy and glowy it makes my face. So did you see they have a new SPF? Ooh, do they? In that line. They just launched it like two days ago. I might need to check it out, but I do love the Polish Choice one that I have. I, I the love one that the you told me to get. It's a great one. <laughs> it's a great one. And I think I'm going to like just stick with that one. But I might, maybe if I could get like a sample of the SPF or like test it in the store, I'll see. You could definitely probably know. get something like that in Sephora. Do they do samples now? I know they were being weird about it with COVID for a while, rightfully so, but. Yeah, I don't know. And I feel like. I feel like they would be more likely to do that and maybe not like lipstick samples anymore. They shouldn't have been doing that anyway. The testers. Oh, for sure. They, I think they have like the little lip brushes that you're supposed to like scrape off on like the product onto or you're supposed to take like break it up. But you're definitely not supposed to apply it directly from like the tube to your lip. Oh, yeah. But I feel like that's still sketchy. Yeah, for sure. Because I feel like people would like double do it. I don't trust that. Like I wouldn't use them. I did like I would try them in high school and then I thought about it and I was like, I don't know if I trust everybody who used that so yeah well, I, I mean when you ask a sephora associate they will clean the product for you but not everybody asks oh well they yeah for sure hmm 
So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if at least lipstick's not back or like maybe eye products or something, but an SPF I feel like is okay because people would probably just test that on their hand. Yeah, well, it's something and squirt to try. it out of the bottle. Something to try uh, from their yeah. new line, you know. Keep my eye out for that. Yeah. All right. Would you like to do the small biz shout out, or do you want me to do it? I can do it. Today's small okay, business. I was going to say I am struggling to pronounce things right now, so go off. That's please. fine. <laughs> Today's small business shout out is going to the coffee and tea company BLK and Bold. Their founders, Purnell and Rod, created BLK and Bold with a, a desire to make a purpose popular. They welcome the obligation to equip young people with the tools to live their best lives and overcome familiar, unfortunate circumstances by turning a daily ritual, enjoying a cup of coffee and tea, into a means of giving back. BLK and Bold pledges 5% of its profits to initiatives aligned to sustaining youth programming, enhancing workforce development, and eradicating youth homelessness. You guys can all check out all of their amazing coffee and teas on their website, blkandbold.com. That's B-L-K-A-N-D-B-O-L-D.com. And without further ado, let's welcome Margie. Yes. And also, thank you guys for being here for an entire year of CEO-ish. Like, this is the longest I think I've ever dedicated myself to doing anything that... To doing anything like hobby wise, honestly, <laughs> like I, I am a notorious person for starting projects and never finishing them. It's the ADHD. And mm-hmm. I'm really proud of us for sticking through that. And we appreciate you guys for sticking with us. Hello and welcome to our podcast, Margie. We love talking and recording with other podcasters. There's definitely a different energy to it. So can you please start off by sharing a little bit about yourself and your entrepreneurial journey? Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. So yes, I am the CEO and co-owner of Interview Connections. We are a multi-seven-figure booking agency. So we book entrepreneurs as guests on podcasts so that they can get more visibility and get more clients and warm leads. Um, My business partner actually founded that company in 2013, and I came in in 2016 as a contractor and then as a first employee and then as 50% co-owner and CEO in 2018. So it's been kind of a quick journey. A quick journey and a unique journey because I own 50% of the company and I'm the CEO, but I didn't found it, which is pretty pretty unique. So it's been an interesting journey. And yes, I'm also a podcaster. So in addition to guesting on shows and booking our clients as guests on shows, I co-host our company podcast, Monetize the Mic. And I also have my own show, We Get It, Your Dad Died. So I really, I know both sides, both as a guest and as a host with podcasting. Yes. And we are so excited to talk about all things podcasting with you. Yes. So to start, how should entrepreneurs be leveraging podcast interviews to grow their business? That's a great question. So podcast interviews are so, so important. And anybody who um, runs ads, which we do, we run a pretty substantial ad budget every single month. We do Facebook ads and Google ads and all that stuff. Love paid ads. I'm an ad strategist, so. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yes. I We love ads. We run ads. And also having solid organic marketing in place is really important. Like paid ads 
do not replace that, right? Because ads can be unpredictable. They're changing. You're having to pivot all the time, as you know, and you want to have that baseline of organic leads who are discovering you and coming into your ecosystem all the time to supplement and go along with your paid ads. And we actually, we didn't run paid ads in the beginning. We grew to seven figures with no paid ads at all. Um, we honestly, we should have started running paid ads sooner, but (laughs) no, honestly, I say this all the time. Paid ads only amplify what's working and will amplify what isn't working. There is no paid strategy without that organic piece. So I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. We, we should have started earlier. I think at around 800 K we probably in revenue, we probably started doing more paid ads just to like start learning them because it was like, once we hit seven figures, we were like, we were the only people in our mastermind group of seven figure CEOs who hadn't run ads. So we had to like learn really, really fast um, and work with someone like you to do not DIY ads. Don't try. Don't do it. (laughs) You need an expert. It's very complex, but yeah. So it's so important for entrepreneurs though, because everything's all about discoverability, right? And there's a reason that presidents and CEOs and famous people, like everybody's in podcasting now. Everybody has a show. Everybody's guesting on shows. And it's such a powerful way to reach new people, but not to just like reach them in like a going wide way. You can really go deep, right? Because the people who hear you on other shows or listen to your podcast, they feel like they know you. They feel like you guys are BFFs. And that is so powerful. That true connection is what creates business growth and clients and great relationships and referral partnerships and all of that good stuff that really is based at its core on true connection and relationships. I think there is something very intimate about the podcasting space, even if you choose not to do that video component. I know a lot of people have shifted towards doing that, but one of the most attractive things about podcasting to me was the fact that I could literally just turn on a microphone, sit on my floor in my sweatpants and just have a conversation. And those conversations can be very intimate and get like very deep with people. So I definitely agree with you there. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, the audio only is amazing too, because for people who know they need to be getting in front of new audiences all the time, but they can't, you know, speak on four stages a month. Some people do, not during the pandemic, but it's so much more low pressure than speaking on stage, but you really can get similar results in terms of transformation, impact on the audience, new people finding you, establishing yourself as an expert, but you can be in sweatpants and at home, which I love as well. Mm -hmm. I know. (laughs) I love that all the podcasters too, like I see like Alex Cooper of Call Her Daddy, she's got a whole team of people now and they're all filming in their sweatpants. Like you see everybody behind the scenes (laughs) still in sweatpants. It's fantastic. I love that. I love that. What types of businesses can benefit from utilizing a guest expert strategy? So primarily, I would recommend guesting on other shows for anybody who has an online business, especially a service-based online business. And yes, product-based businesses can do it. We have some product-based businesses who are really successful, but usually a product-based business is going to look at a strategy like this and look at volume, and the volume really isn't going to be that high. We mostly book our clients on mid-range shows. So each episode has maybe 100 to 1,000 or a few thousand downloads per episode, which if you're selling a $10 product, probably isn't going to move the needle for you on sales. But if you are a service-based business, if your clients come and invest $5,000, $10,000, $20,000, $50,000 a 
year to work with you, then you want to be looking at those smaller, more targeted audiences. And so when you know that a a room of 100 or 1,000 of the right type of person is going to be a big ROI from you, and you know that when people hear you speak and get to know you, they're drawn to you and want to work with you, then this is a really perfect strategy for you to be using to generate really huge revenue numbers in your business, depending on how, how high ticket what you're selling is. That's super interesting because I've never looked at it like we do podcasting because this is fun and at least that's how it started for us, but I've never utilized it for the aspect specifically of sales. So it's interesting to look at it through that lens and see that ROI because I mean, there are a lot of entrepreneurs that follow us that are coaches, content creators, et cetera, and they're looking to sell their digital offers and passive offers. And it's interesting to hear how they can do that through podcasting. Yeah, absolutely. Podcast guesting is a great way to do that. And you just, you deliver a great interview to the right audience. And then you give a simple call to action that people can follow to stay connected with you, to join your email list, whatever it is. And you're steadily growing your audience of really warm, engaged people. They're not just like randos. If they heard you and they love what you're talking about, they're going to be a really high quality lead. Yeah. Well, and thinking about that too, typically if one person is listening to the podcast, you know, the internet space is fascinating because it's huge, but it's not that big at the same time. So if you hear about someone on a podcast, likely are, they probably follow a bunch of other people you're already following because you just tend to run in the same circles. Yeah, that is so true. And the more podcasts you guest on, the more you kind of realize what a small world it is. And the more people Google you or see you somewhere and they're like, wow, she is everywhere. And that social proof is valuable, right? Like if I'm looking to work with someone who does what you do and I see you everywhere, personally, I'm going to interpret that as a sign, right? And if I'm Mm -hmm. less woo-woo, I'm still going to see it as this person clearly knows their stuff. They are clearly an expert in this space. And and that's so valuable. Yeah. Definitely. All right. So let's talk about mindset for a minute. We talk about it a lot on this podcast and we want to know, in your opinion, what is the most important aspect of mindset in podcast guesting? Yeah. So mindset and personal development are like my obsession. And mindset comes into play so much with podcast guesting, which really every aspect of business, because we all know, and we've all probably been there, where you can do everything right. Like the tactics and strategies you're doing are on point. They are working for other people with the same target audience, but they're not working for you. And you know that it's like, okay, look at look at the energy, look at the mindset, because it seems woo-woo and fluffy, but it's really not. It really does have a big impact on like the hard numbers of your business. So with podcast guesting, we teach our clients a lot of strategies for how to maximize their opportunities, how to know they're on the right show, how to network with the hosts, how to have messaging and topics and questions that are really going to bring out the best in them, how to have a good call to action. So we do all that tactical strategy to help our clients monetize interviews. But there is this mindset energetic piece that in looking at, you know, We work with hundreds of clients since 2013. We've worked with thousands of clients and looking at the clients who are just like far and away the most successful, just like crushing it, like closing sales, the number of like the amount of revenue they're doing, even we are like, whoa. 
And the thing that they all have in common is their mindset and their energy. And they're going into it looking at like, how can I serve? We had a client, we still have a client, she works with us still, who actually is a product-based business owner, which like I said, is kind of rare for us, right? Because if you're an online service-based business, it's a no-brainer, it's low-hanging fruit, there's going to be an ROI, you could do a lot wrong and you would still get clients from doing this. But for product-based businesses, it's a little bit more hit or miss. And she saw a huge ROI just after a few interviews, which is much faster than we would usually tell people to expect results. And so we asked her, like, what are you doing? Because clearly you're doing something. (laughs) And she said, when I go on podcasts, I act like every person in that audience paid $10,000 to hear me speak. You have to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the mindset, though. It's not like, what can I get? Who's going to buy? I need money, like dollar signs in my eyes. It's like, I'm giving enough value that you're you're showing up and hearing this for free, but I'm giving value as if you paid 10 grand to hear this, and I want you to get an ROI on that. And as soon as she said that, we were like, that's what it is. That's that's why Mm -hmm. she's doing it. I can't tell you how happy I am to hear that people are thinking that way and starting to enter more of this new age thinking because the the community over competition mindset has gotten me so far in business. I have always been a share what you know, because if you give it all to people, they're going to wonder what they'll do for you or what you can do for them when they actually pay for it, you know? And, but the older generations never, like I did not grow up going through college being taught that you should teach everything you know because then people will be like well why would they want to pay you if they already can get the information from you and I just couldn't disagree with that kind of thinking more so I'm so happy to hear that that kind of success has worked and paid off for somebody yeah that's such a great point and that's something we talk to our clients about all the time and podcasting is such a collaborative space I it's kind of a magical place it, it is very collaborative it's very creative it's very supportive and we tell our clients that all the time like you if you have this lack of mindset where you're like okay I'm gonna give some value on the interviews but like you know you have to buy my course or read my book if you want more we're like no give them everything. Because first of all, they're not going to get the same experience they would get actually working with you, even if you Mm -hmm. give them everything, because it's just not as comprehensive, obviously, as your paid programs. But when you're not holding back, people can feel the energy of that generosity. And you're exactly right. They're like, wow, if I can get results from your free content, I can't imagine what I'm going to get when I actually invest in working with you. It's kind of like the, I'm still going to go see the movie, but I'm definitely going to read the book that the movie was based upon. Yeah. So in all of your years and success with podcasting, what do you think truly helps people stand out the most when pitching themselves to be on podcasts? Because I know it's not just a flashy media kit. Yes, that's a great question. We And we do build media kits. We do one sheets for our clients and they're really not flashy. Um, they're not super fancy. They're neat. They're clean. They match their branding and they have the information. But it's really the meat of what's on them, like the quality of the topics and questions, not how nice it is or how shiny or fancy it is. Um, that's a big part of it. I think, first of all, you have to be self-aware. You have to be self-aware, I think, about the level of expertise that you're at. Because if I have a brand new business that's doing 50K a year in revenue, that's awesome. Like, that's great. But I'm not going to go on Oprah 
And I think sometimes people are like, I want to be on Oprah and I want to go on Joe Rogan. Well, not anymore, but like, but they're brand new. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's really about, you want to have confidence. You want to reach, you want to stretch, but you also want to be really honest with yourself about the level that you're at and, and what you actually want. Because the ego is like, I want to go on Oprah. I want to go on this, which of course that would be amazing. But it's like, come back to your actual goals. If my goal is to get clients and I work with six and seven figure entrepreneurs, I don't need to go on Oprah. Like there's hundreds of mid-sized podcasts that would get me in front of my target audience. So I think it's really letting the ego go and letting the shiny objects go and looking at like, what is my actual goal for this? And how do I get to my goal? And that's when you end up going on shows that you've probably never heard of, but the shows are awesome. The hosts are amazing and a great connection for you. And the listeners are the right type of people to take action and become dream clients for you. Absolutely. All right. So pivoting a bit, we want to have a conversation about grief and loss as a business owner. As you mentioned in our intro, you have your own podcast, We Get It, Your Dad Died, where you speak with other high-performing entrepreneurs about their experiences with grief and death. We would love to hear your experience with how grief and loss have empowered you as an entrepreneur. Yes. So this is one of my favorite things to talk about, which is why I ended up, I found actually that I talked about it so much as a guest on shows and that it evolved and evolved. And then I ended up starting my own podcast, which happens to a lot of our clients. If you're, if you want a podcast, but you're not really sure if you start out guesting, you'll start to sort of evolve what you're talking about. And then your own podcast can grow kind of naturally out of that. It's a great strategy. Yeah, it really works. And then ideally you're doing both. Like ideally you you have your own platform and your own podcast and you're guesting in front of new audiences, which is a really nice balance. Um, so what happened to me was in 2015, I was living in Taipei, Taiwan as an English teacher. And I found out that my dad had died by suicide and it was very sudden. I'm an only child. We were very close. My parents were still married and like, understandably, my life totally fell apart. So I, I can't had to, even imagine. Yeah, it was. And being abroad too, that's mm. an entirely different layer. Yeah. And I'm not like, I mean, I love to travel and I had traveled before, but I had never been away from home for that long ever. Like I had never not been home for Christmas and I had been in Asia for two years. So it was already like kind of sad because I, you know, like I'm really close with my parents. I went to college in state. Like I'm not, like it was weird to be this far away from home. For and so sure. for him to die and I hadn't even seen him in two years was like one of many layers of this that was like totally crushing. But the thing about losing someone really close to you or like any type of big loss is it's so big that it sort of breaks everything apart. And it's sort of like you get kind of very present. Because the ego, I think, starts to back away or break off just because there's nothing you can do. All your old paradigms don't work anymore. You, you don't have a playbook for how to deal with this. And that can the gift in that pain is that I think it makes you very present. So that was a really big pivot for me, a really big shift. So I realized I had to like quit my job and do this international move and plan the memorial and like working with my mom. And then my parents 
were hoarders. They had a hoarded house. So growing up in a house with mental illness is like a big part of what made me who I am too. And before my dad died, I had been planning to clean out the house. I was like, I'm finally going to do it. It had been this thing that had been like felt so insurmountable to me. And it was something that I had so much shame about and so much like sadness about that they were living that way. Like I was so angry when I was living there because it was so overwhelming and chaotic. And then once I wasn't living in the there anymore. I was so sad that they were living like this. And so I did I did a bunch of research on like hoarding cleanup and all this stuff. And I was like, when I get home from Taiwan, I'm going to clean the house. And then my dad died. And then I came home from Taiwan and I just was like, well, I guess I'm still going to clean the house because I can't leave my mom like not only grieving, but like in a house where she can't really function well or have people over or do anything. So I embarked on this insane five-month project where I was up at like 5 a.m. and then I would finish cleaning at like 8 p.m. I took one day off in five months and I'm not really a hustler. Like I don't really grind. That's really not my style. I like a lot of space and rest. (laughs) You are the perfect energy for this podcast and I cannot (laughs) emphasize that enough. I'm so glad. So yeah, like I'm not a grinder. I'm not a hustler. I've never done anything like that where I just like work straight through, but it was like I didn't have a choice or it felt like I didn't have a choice because it was like, if I don't do this, who's going to? And so it really showed me what I was made of and what I was capable of. And it was a lot like starting a business because I had no idea what I was doing. I had never done this before. And every day there was like at least 20 things that went horribly wrong, like things falling apart, like people like not showing up who I needed help from. Pipes are bursting. Like there was like a moth infestation. It was like a horror movie. Like every day there would be like a fresh hell. And I'm like, and there were so many times that I was like, is, am I on a hidden camera show? Like this cannot be happening, but every day it would happen. Like new things would happen. And I just had to keep Googling and figuring it out and calling people and figuring out and people like the first few people would be really negative and be like, well, nothing you you should do. Like just give up. It's impossible. And I'd be crying and I'd still be calling people. Finally, I'd reach someone who'd be like, no problem. I can help you. And I'd be like, oh, thank God. And then something else would happen. So it was just like five months straight of like having to find the right people, having to deal with like so many problems that seemed impossible, but just pushing through and pushing through and pushing through. And then I ended up finishing the house clean, which was really exciting. Um, Kind of weird type of excitement because my dad had just died. So I was also like really depressed, but it was like an amazing accomplishment and like getting my mom to work with me. um, If anyone's tried to like work with a hoarder on cleaning, Um, they're very resistant. And sometimes that can come off as being kind of nasty and mean um, just because it's like threatening for them, right? It's Mm -hmm. like they want to be left alone. And her husband had just died. So it was like, understandably, when I'm like, cool, so we're going through like 18 bankers boxes today. Isn't that great? And she's like, leave me alone. And I was like, (laughs) no, this is for your own good. I'm not going to leave you alone. Mm -hmm. But it was hard, right? Because we were so we're constantly butting heads. I'm constantly trying to like figure out how to motivate slash manipulate her (laughs) into like doing what I need her to do. And when I finished the house clean, the day that I finished it, that this huge dumpster got like taken away. It was like, it looked beautiful. We, we had like bought new furniture because of all the cat pee on the old furniture. It looked like it was staged. Like it was amazing to have grown up in a hoarded house and then to be looking at this house that was like cleaner than like 
the average house. And then I moved. I moved the day we finished to Colorado. I'm from Rhode Island because my partner at the time had gotten into grad school and that had been the plan before my dad died. And I didn't think about pivoting. I was just like, well, this is the plan. So I finished the house clean, but because I'd been so focused on this house clean, I really hadn't like processed my grief, right? I had just channeled it. And then I get in a U-Haul and drive across the country to Colorado where I have no friends and no family and no job. Everything was new and there was nothing familiar. Yes. And then everything fell apart. Like, duh. (laughs) But at the time it was shocking. Yeah. But, but unsurprisingly, it was just like things started to unravel. Like I was so, I wasn't in therapy at that time. Um, even though I'm an advocate of therapy, I had been in therapy, but for some reason thought like that at that moment, going through the worst thing of my life that I didn't need a therapist, like this is a level of delusion that I was at. (laughs) And I was basically in fight or flight all the time. And people thought I was doing really well because I was like sharing a lot of motivational quotes and I was working out a lot because I had all this like crazed grief energy. Um, but behind if, the- if that does not tell you that social media is a facade, I don't know what does. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of like sweaty selfies and motivational posts. And like, I wasn't trying to be fake. Like that stuff was making me happy. You know, the posts I was like, I'm going to share this. Cause like this resonated with me and like, I'm going to share my progress and inspire people to get healthy. And also I was in a mental breakdown. Like, so it's like, and my relationship was totally falling apart because I was like, a nightmare person. I mean, I was so angry. I was so upset. I didn't like, you know, he had just moved to this new place. So he's like making new friends. And like, I didn't want to leave the house. I didn't want to talk. Like, how do you meet somebody new when your dad just died and you just came out of this house clean? Like, I didn't know how to relate to people anymore. I didn't know how to talk to people. I just wanted to be home with my cats. Um, And it, it was really bad. But one thing that came out of that is I eventually found a job and I hated it. I was selling jewelry um, because I came out of a sales and fundraising background. But my now business partner, Jess, who I had worked at in door-to-door canvassing for like a few months when I got out of college, we had reconnected because when my dad died, I needed people to come foster pets for me to get them out of the house until I could get back to the United States. And my dad's cat, Kitten, just came and fostered, and she ended up adopting Kitten and still has Kitten. Oh, I know that. <laughs> and that's how we reconnected. So it's like we had just been like coworkers. We weren't like super close. Um, but then she saw my post on Facebook. She was like, yeah, I can come get a cat. My cat just died. Like, I, I need a new cat anyway. And it meant so much to me that she did that because everything was going wrong for me. And finally, something went right, like with Mm -hmm. Kitten finding a great home. And it was so cute. And like Jess's kids loved Kitten. And so that reconnected us and caused me to start seeing her Facebook posts because we started interacting on Facebook again. And I saw her post that she was hiring remote contractors at $15 an hour for interview connections to be booking agents. And I had just learned about remote work and was like, wait, you can work from home in sweatpants? Like, I'm in. So my business career really started from a desire to work from home, like, in sweatpants. And then I started – I became a booking agent. 
And I started researching my clients because I was booking all these entrepreneurs as guests on podcasts. So I was listening to their interviews. I was reading their websites. I didn't know anything. This was 2016. So it wasn't that long ago. I'm like Googling what is SEO? What is content marketing? What is B2B? Like what is like all this, like I had all these real estate investors and I had never owned any real estate in my life. So I was like learning. I've been there. Yeah. So I'm like learning so much. And from listening to them, I realized like, oh, I want to be a business owner. Like this is who I am. I'd always been miserable like as an employee. And I was like, oh, this is like, I want to be an entrepreneur. And so I ended up, my relationship unsurprisingly totally imploded because I was a lunatic. And so I ended up Moving. We love the self-awareness. Say <laughs> that. Yeah. So I ended up moving back in with my mom in shame. My uncle had to come help me, and we drove the U-Haul and my two elderly cats in the car. Of course, the air conditioning broke day one of the trip, oh and it was gosh. the summer. Like it's like it was just it, it was really break. like yes, it was like a year and a half of like the universe clearly being like come on, like just everything going wrong. Like, come on, you can do this. So you can do it. Yeah. And so, but I finally got the wake up call after like a million things going wrong. I moved back home with my mom. I get into like serious trauma processing EMDR therapy with like an amazing woman. And I start to just kind of like rebuild myself and rebuild my life. I'm doing a lot of personal development and Jess asked me to become the first employee of Interview Connections in 2017. And I said yes. And there's a picture of me like holding the nameplate she gave me with a cat on it. But I went home and I just like cried my eyes out to my best friend because I didn't want to be an employee. I wanted to own a business. And I had been trying to grow up, grow these like MLM side hustles and stuff. And it just was not going well. But I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I was like, if I accept this job as an employee, I'm like taking a step backwards in terms of my freedom. But my best friend was like, this is going to be great. And I, I could feel that it was like I, I should do it, but I just didn't understand how it would get me where I wanted to go since it seemed like a step backward. But I trusted it and I did it. I became the first employee. And because I had the background of cleaning the house and dealing with like nightmare after nightmare all day, every day, and I had done all this therapy and processed my trauma and my triggers and I was doing personal development, I was like the best first employee ever. And I was so resilient. Like nothing could phase me. Like I'm hiring people. I have no idea what I'm doing. People are freaking out and quitting. We're having every like nightmare employee scenario you could. But possibly... it's not a burst pipe, so like exactly. you're chilling. Yeah, but moths aren't flying at my face, so I'm like, no, we're good, we're good. And it was like that. All of that stuff came together to make me such a strong first employee. And first employees of a company, it's a very entrepreneurial position, um, and there's a lot of opportunity there. And after all of that and like putting in so much of myself into building this company and being so resilient, I negotiated 50% equity. Jess and I had been talking about starting another business together because she could tell that I was an entrepreneur and that I was either, she either needed to start another business with me or I was probably going to leave at some point, even though I was super loyal to her because she had 
adopted kitten, um, she could tell that I was an entrepreneur at heart and that at some point I would need to own a business. So we you talked about your ceiling and you would have needed something more. Totally mm-hmm. understandable. Yeah. So we talked about starting other companies together and potentially a media company. And then we just couldn't figure out how to make it work because it's like, well, then where does Interview Connections fit in with that, right? Like if we start this other company that we own together, but then you own Interview Connections and I'm working in it. And then so we kept negotiating. And then what I really wanted was to be 50-50 partners, um, which Jess wanted too at that point because we have very complementary skills. Um, and it was lonely to run the business at that time, I think. Even with a first employee like me who was in it, there was a lot on her. And it was really stressful, like learning how to hire W-2 employees for the first time and having such like a heavy service that is so high touch that takes so much manpower and overhead to deliver. I'm going through it right now with her. I don't know what I'm doing, man. <laughs> Nobody does. It's all going to be okay. I'm here for you too if you want a voice message. It's, it's a steep learning curve. It's sort of like tubing like on the back of a boat where you're just like hold on and you're just well, with like, like one arm. You, yeah. The one arm's already off. Yeah. Just keep holding on. Like you'll get you'll get to calm waters and then you'll be like, oh my gosh, like we did it. But yeah, it's it's a wreck. Um, it's, it's, it's insanity at first. And so I asked for 50% equity. Um, there was some negotiation. Her husband, for obvious reasons, was like, wait, what? But I really made a case for like, I can get us to seven figures and here's how. And I like laid out my plan at that time in 2017, we were at like about $400,000 in revenue. And I was like, I can get us to seven figures in a year. This is how, like, these are the goals. It's really doable. This is how we could restructure our programs and packages. And she ended up going with her gut, even though everybody was like, this is insane and being like, yes. And so we became partners and we didn't quite hit seven figures the next year, but we did go from 400,000 to like 850. And then that's a big jump. Yeah, it was a big (laughs) jump. So it's, it's been a journey. And like, that's the kind of money that pays other people's salaries too. That's not nothing to turn your nose up at. That's not buying yourself a new piece of software. That's buying yourself some really expensive software, making a couple business investments, getting a new coach and hiring an entire staff of people's worth of money. (laughs) Yes, we have over 20, I think we have 25 right now, full-time W-2 employees with benefits. Um, which is, we've come so far. It's It's amazing. Yeah. It's still like, you're still going to have days that are tough, but, and I like that you mentioned coaches too, because having coaches and mentors at every step and like kind of bringing in new mentors at every new phase, um, has been huge. You know, I bet I can say this to you too, because you're someone who's done both the therapy and the coaching too. It's very interesting to go in ebbs and flows of when you need what. And sometimes it's very easy to mistake what you need for something else too. Because I've been in therapy sessions before where they'd be like, it sounds like you need a mindset coach. And I've also been with mindset coaches that have been like, it sounds like you need a therapist. Like, Yes. So much of it, and I love the book, Who Not How, so much of it is like finding the right who for that moment. And it does, it does keep changing. For sure. So I have a question that I want to come back to with the whole related to grief thing. And knowing what I know about your story now, um, it's going to require me to restructure it a bit. But I'm wondering, so 
when your dad passed, obviously you were not an entrepreneur at that point, but going through what you've gone through now, how can business owners, maybe somebody is self-employed, maybe they only have a couple contractors, maybe they're still running the show by themselves, but how can they set themselves up for success to be able to step away, take time off if they had to, if something like this were to happen, because life is inevitable. We cannot control things that like this that happen to us. And for a lot of people, that would probably send them back to a corporate job, not having an entire staff of people to carry out the work. Yeah, that's such a great point. And I talk on my podcast to like different entrepreneurs and some of them went through grief a long time ago. Some of them did go through losses when they had a business. I think the key thing is having someone there. You don't need a whole team of people. Um, I recommend a lot of books because I love to read. There's a great book called Multipliers um, that everybody who was going to be leading people in any capacity should read. But it's all about using multiplication, not addition to solve problems. So not looking at, I need to keep adding more people, but how can I get more out of the people that I have? And not more like, how can I work them harder and have them do more hours, but like more of their brain power. Like how can I lead them in a way that's making them smarter? Um, and that book is a really, really good thing for that because you don't need a huge team. Like depending on what you're delivering, you can probably have a much smaller team than you think, but having at least that key right-hand employee who like, and that's who I was, right? And you don't have to give them equity in your business, but having that person who you can count on, who is really capable, not just as an implementer, but as a thinker, that's really big. Because if you just hire implementers to implement your vision, it's going to get to a point really quickly where you're a bottleneck because you're doing all the thinking and all the strategy. You need people who can actually make decisions for you so that not every decision has to filter through you. And that's a process and you have to develop them. But even if you can only have like one contractor or one employee who's like your right-hand person who can cover for you, that will take a lot off you so that you can focus on business development and growth and vision and strategy for the future. And it will also give you a lot of freedom if something does inevitably happen in your life and you need to step back. That person is able to, you know, run the business, grow the business, hire and, and do all that type of, of stuff for you. Love that. Love that. Okay, so how has podcasting affected your relationship with grief? That's such a good question. Um, I think it's been really interesting. Like, I didn't set out to have a personal brand around death. <laughs> like, <laughs> but as you talk about something, as you go on podcasts, so I go on at least four shows per month every month as a guest, and that's what we recommend for our clients as well. And it's really interesting to be in sort of a live conversation so often because the way that you process your thoughts, your messaging, the way that you develop and grow as a person, I think language is really powerful. And there's a lot of quotes about this that, you know, language doesn't just reflect reality. It, you really create your reality with your language. So talking about grief, I think, has really helped me understand it in new ways that I wouldn't have if I was just thinking about it and not talking to other people. And the other thing is it's been surprising when I, the reason I started the podcast is when I started talking about grief and death and loss as an entrepreneur, I started getting people in my DMs who were like, I knew them, right? I had been in like, you know, 
masterminds for seven and eight figure entrepreneurs with them for years and never knew this about them. And they would DM me and say, you know, it's so weird. I never talk about this, but my mom died. And that's actually the reason I started this company or like, you know, stuff like that, where it was like, oh, this is very prevalent. Like almost everybody, especially as they get to a certain age, has some type of profound grief or loss experience and they do shape you, right, for better or for worse. And so that was another thing about talking about it on podcasts. It can be very isolating um, to experience it, but when you talk about it this much, it becomes a lot less isolating and you feel so much more connected to other people. And you can be that person when other people hear you they don't feel alone, right? So maybe people don't want to go talk on four podcasts a month about death. Like that's probably normal, <laughs> but like they can hear my interviews and other people's interviews and realize that they're not alone, even if they're not ready to get out there and be talking about it themselves. Makes sense. So our favorite question to ask on the show, what is your favorite self-care product under $50? Oh my gosh. That's such a good question. Um, okay. I really like, first of all, I listened to your episode and then I bought one of the things on Sephora that you recommended. So hopefully that will become a new favorite. Um, my favorite self-care product, I don't know if this is like self-care cause it's not even a treat yourself. I have very dry skin. So this is very much like a survival <laughs> product, but I really like, um, the skin food brand body butter. It comes in like a green tub. I get it at Whole Foods. Phenomenal product. It's I like in the winter, I cover my whole body with it. I put it on my face too. Like that's the level of dry skin that I'm at right now. So I like, I don't think it's for your face, but I put it all over my face every day. It's, I don't know where I would be without it. Skin food, first aid beauty, skin fix, die hard for winter skin favorites. I have the dry like eczema prone skin too in the winter. It like, my hands crack. It's so dry here. So fun. Yes. (laughs) My hands are cracked right now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So thank you so much for coming on our show. Where can our audience keep up with you on social media and listen to your podcast too? Thank you so much for having me. So I have a personal website where my podcast lives, which is margiewithaharg.com. And then my personal Instagram is at heymargie. And then also our business website is interviewconnections.com. And I usually don't give three calls to action. I tell our clients not to, but we covered a lot of different stuff. So I will have all of this action. (laughs) I was going to say, I will have all of this linked in the show notes as well. So everyone can pick their favorite place to keep up with you. But thank you so much for coming on. This was such a great conversation. I knew it would be. You're a fantastic speaker. Oh, you guys are amazing too. Thank you so much. All right, you guys, that is it for today's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. And as always, we love you so much. Be sure you are following us over on Instagram at CEOish Podcast. We always post polls and episode updates and info about our guests over there. It's a great time. You should definitely check it out. And you should follow us on our personals, of course, at ChloeW.R and at TayGramBiz. Make sure you're subscribed to CEOish wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, be sure to give the show a five-star review. It really does help us out, and we read every single one. And we will see you, CEOs, in the next episode. Bye. <laughs>